Hi, and welcome to Hedge Fund Tips. I'm Tom Hayes, and you're listening to our 21st video cast and 11th podcast for the week ending March 13th, 2020. Thanks for joining us. What an exciting week in both directions, uh, day by day. We're going to kind of go through it as quickly as we can here and get you the most amount of information in the least amount of time. So uh, here we are on Monday. The market was collapsing. want to thank um, Paul Vigna, Aventika, Chilcoti, and David Winning for including me. Uh, this was on the front page, so I'm really grateful for that. And basically, they were asking, you know, what's going on with the markets? It was crashing that day. And the fear about today was global recession. Uh, if Russia doesn't come back to the table soon, investors will worry about the default risk and credit spreads widening will lead to a tighter credit and even a recession. And that was really the key about last Friday's surprise with OPEC falling apart. And even much more, I was much more concerned about the credit markets with, um, with credit spreads getting tight after the Russia debacle than coronavirus, because coronavirus, as, as challenging as it is, and it's obviously a human tragedy, um, we know there's a light at the end of the tunnel. We've now seen China, Disneyland just reopened their park in Shanghai. Apple has now opened 100% of stores. They were at 85% last week. Uh, I think they got 42. Starbucks, 100% of stores are open. You look at the pollution maps, you see people are back in action. So uh, China has has done really well. They got a late start, but they got it back. South Korea is now getting back, uh, getting uh, good indications and getting things contained. And they, they got off to a rocky start, but they picked it up. Singapore nipped it in the bud in like four or five weeks. And um, so we, we knew it was just a matter of time how to get it contained. And boy, was today a dose of confidence with that uh, three o'clock meeting. But we'll talk about that in just a minute, the press conference from the president. So um, so this is how we came into the week. It, it wasn't the coronavirus. It was it was uh, it was certainly this OPEC debacle. And I want to thank Michelle McQuarrie for having me on Monday. I'm going to play a clip from this where I explain so I can set the context because it was a perfectly wrapped bow from the beginning of the week to the end of the week, the the president's conference today. Uh, So let me give you a little context with what I had to say on Monday. With Thomas Hayes, he's the chairman and managing member of Hill Capital. Reeling from this day, Thomas, how much of this was corona, how much of this was what we're seeing in the crude oil market, or how much of this was just a very bad, potent combination of the two? Well, it was 86.12% of the OPEC meeting falling (laughs) apart for sure, Uh, but but in that ballpark, it was really about 80%. And if you think we took it bad, 7.5% down, we're down 19% from, from our recent highs, Take a look at Russia. They were down 16% their equity markets today, 35% down from their recent highs. Saudi Arabia was down 17% today, 33% from their recent highs for their equity markets. So if their intent was to punish the shale producers, what they miscalculated was that we have a very dynamic consumer. 70% of our economy is consumer-driven. And on Russia's side, uh, they are really focused on oil. So... The real risk and the knock-on effect of what happened by the OPEC Plus meeting falling apart on Friday, which 
did obviously surprise the markets and surprised a lot of people is that people are scared of credit markets freezing up. Okay, so if you look at the high yield index in the United States, it's heavily weighted to energy stocks. And when, when people now say, you know, the cost of production is in the low 40s, when these companies start defaulting, people look at what banks have exposure. And actually there were some good stats put out about which, you know, the kind of exposure they had. It's between one to 3% for the major banks. So it's not material. Uh, it's gonna hurt them more than it's gonna hurt us. So if this move, as you say, could land up backfiring on Russia, can they backpedal? Can they change this now? Or Absolutely. Too far and you know, it, it's funny that you bring that up. I, I think basically, I don't know if it's another 5% when their equity markets are down 40% or if it's 15% and they got to go down 15%. Uh, but I, I do believe Russia's going to cry uncle. And if not, I think you could see a situation in Saudi Arabia where you could potentially have a change of leadership if something doesn't change very quickly. When, when the pressure gets this acute, though, it's often the point in time. Today was real capitulation. I mean, mm -hmm. people were just deleveraging, getting out of stuff. Uh, that's when you usually see change. And, and whether that's going to be a change where OPEC comes back to the table or the Saudis say, hey, we'll, we'll bear more of the brunt, just come along for but, a bit. But given where we are with the coronavirus picture, and yeah. Impact that that's having having on the global economy. Even if there is a reversal with the oil price, how much of an impact is that going to have? Yeah. Well, I think um, you know we saw if you look at the China model. So uh, as their new cases leveled off, if you look at the chart of the new cases, the moment their new cases leveled off in early February, you saw their equity market rally 23%, while our equity market was declining yeah. because we were just getting new cases. So you know today in New York, I'm coming down here, everyone's running, everyone's outside. Yeah, it, warm weather doesn't cure it, but it makes it a little bit more difficult to spread, uh, and that's going to be helpful. So there are a lot of positive things happening. You know, rates are low. And by the way, the Fed stepped in in the past week, which I've been kind of writing about in the last two months. They stopped providing liquidity and increasing their balance sheet. Okay, so that was the bit about OPEC on Monday. So that was really the fear is the contagion in the credit markets more than anything else. And by Wednesday, I went on Yahoo Finance right after the bankers meeting at 4.15 and uh, I talked a little bit more. You can watch the whole thing if you want to see the stuff about the stock market and what stocks we were buying and that type of thing. But I, I, I talked about a solution to the OPEC problem uh, here. So take a quick listen to this clip. But, but that's something that could immediately quantify it and the whole game would change. And then you had, you know, the whole Russia thing over the weekend. Yeah. <laughs> and, and that blew up the credit markets, you know. So it blew up in the sense that it rattled the credit markets. Credit spreads blew out. And that could get quantified. If you remember 2016, you know, the, these things, they're always different, but they have similarities. Uh, OPEC balked on cuts, if you remember, in early 2016. And then they came back to the table and that's when they got the rally. Mm. And you know who were the big buyers in 2009 when, when WTI went down to 33 and 2016 when it went down to 26? China stepped in and bought it at $30 a barrel. Right. I, we should be stepping in. Our, we've got 100 million barrels of capacity in our strategic mm -hmm. petroleum reserve. We could step in tomorrow, save 250,000 jobs in the oil patch, stabilize the credit markets, get OPEC back to the table, have time for this drug to come happen, and we could, we could be off to the races. Or we could just you know, focus on the problem and you know, go, go lower. But you know, we're, we're nibbling on, on bargains. Lots to think about it. Okay, so uh, that was on Wednesday at 4.15, and this was President Trump's amazing speech today 
in the Rose Garden that really gave the markets confidence. We're going to talk about a lot of things that gave the markets confidence, but I think this is one of the key aspects that people aren't quite absorbing the positive implications of moving forward just yet. So take a listen to President Trump. Boyle, I've also instructed the Secretary of Energy to purchase, at a very good price, large quantities of crude oil for storage in the U.S. Strategic Reserve. We're going to fill it right up to the top, saving the American taxpayer billions and billions of dollars, helping our oil industry and making us even further toward that wonderful goal which we've achieved, which nobody thought was possible, of energy independence. It puts us in a position that's very strong, and we're buying it at the right price. And uh, that's something that uh, would have not even been possible a week ago. Uh, the price of oil went down quite a bit, so we're going to fill it up. It's a good time to fill it up. I'd like to ask Mike Pence to say a few words, please. Okay, so they totally... Uh, you know, and we're going to see this over the next week. I think a couple of really amazing things can happen out of that. Number one, they've got 92 million barrels of capacity. So if you look at the coronavirus estimated uh, uh, demand destruction was about 900,000. That's when China was offline. Now they're coming back online, but we're, we're slowing down. So let's call it a million barrels a day. We could basically do cover the deficit for three months until demand naturally picks up, number one. Number two, I think the side benefit you could get if Russia and, and Saudi Arabia are really smart is they're going to say, you know what? U.S. is meeting us part of the way. They're going to pick up 92 million barrels of oil. Uh, you know, why don't we do a million? Uh, why don't we go, uh, go ahead and, you know, meet them halfway and do a million, million and a half uh, a day of production cuts like we had planned on before things broke down. Because here's the thing, everyone's like, oh, Putin wants to bankrupt the shale producers so that they can control the market again. Let me tell you something, guys and gals, the assets aren't going anywhere. Unless he's gonna suck our fracking sand out of our country, basically you bankrupt 20% of our shale producers, guess what? Sam Zell and all the private equity guys under the sun come in with their dry powder, they buy those assets, and they put them right back on the market. So if their plan was to bankrupt the shale producers, all they're going to have is leaner, more efficient, uh, non-debt-laden owners within six to nine months pumping that stuff back out. So their better play is to now use this opportunity. The administration has extended an olive branch. It's great for the taxpayer. And by the way, knowing you know President Trump, he likes to buy low and sell high. I'll bet he lays this off on the market a year from now if oil's back at 55, 60, and he's going to make the taxpayers probably uh, a double, you know, three, four, five billion dollars of profits for the taxpayers. So this is just an absolutely brilliant uh, idea from the administration. And I think that uh, they are going to deserve a ton of credit because number one, the high yield market, as I said on Michelle, Michelle Macquarie, thank you again for having me on. And Adriana Guzman from uh, I-24 News. Uh, thank you both for that. Um, this is going to be really constructive for the credit markets because it's going to calm down the high yield market because the, the default risk is going to go down. And and that's what you started to see right before the close after this was announced. 
absolutely amazing. And by the way, it's going to save a couple hundred thousand jobs in the oil patch, which is just huge. But they're not going to bankrupt shale producers. They're just going to transfer ownership to uh, without the debt. So, so basically, they're going to get more production because the new owners that are going to buy the assets out of bankruptcy uh, are going to be able to pump more because they don't have all the debt overhang. These guys, at least they got to service their debt, so they have to control their capital expenditures. Russia wants to keep these guys in business if they're smart. If they're dumb, they think that you never want to try to take share in a declining demand market. That's, you know, people say economics 101, it's economics 102. So I think the Saudis and the Russians have gotten an amazing olive branch here from the administration. They should jump onto it, add a million or a million and a half on top of what the Trump administration has just proposed with uh, 92 million barrels that they're going to put to bed into our strategic reserve. And uh, we can get energy prices, oil back up to $50, $60 a barrel, where it's great for the consumer, it's great for the producer, it saves jobs, and, um, you know, just an amazing uh, positive development this afternoon. Next, um, Pelosi, uh, um, um, House Speaker Pelosi said that they're going to do a deal, so we're going to get fiscal stimulus uh, in the U.S., which... I have to say, um, and, I, and I did on Fox today, I'll play the short clip on Fox. Um, what Mnuchin did this morning by coming out, he basically reminded me of Mario Draghi during the Euro crisis. Draghi came out, all these bond vigilantes were shorting sovereign bonds, expecting the Eurozone to break up or trying to force it to break up. And he just came out and he said, we're going to do whatever it takes. You know, basically, if you're short, you're toast. We're going to be we're going to be the buyer and we've got a bigger, bigger balance sheet than any of you combined. And it, it stopped it dead in its tracks in 2011 after a 20 some odd percent correction and choppiness. He came out with the bazooka and boom, we rallied. So uh, Mnuchin really has not only done an amazing job with the China negotiations, but what he came out today and he um, highlighted the 1.5 trillion of uh, liquidity that Chair Powell came up with yesterday, the $60 billion of bond buying. Basically, they're going to increase the balance sheet, quantitative type easing. But that's a good thing. They're buying on the short end of the curve, which, by the way, guess what? Will should affect a steepening of the yield curve, which will help the banks, which have just gotten battered in this thing. You know, Wells Fargo's down 50%. They're not gonna do 50% less business. It's just like last summer when the yield curve inverted, everyone was afraid, the, the net interest margin. This should steepen the yield curve as they continue with this. And he basically said, he pulled a Draghi this morning, even though he's a secretary treasury versus a, a, a central banker, but he's got the gunpowder and we're going fiscal this time. And that's what the world's been waiting for, um, that he's gonna do whatever it takes. The liquidity will be there uh and he he really changed things on a dime so hats off to secretary mnuchin for what he did and what chair powell has done this week they've increased the balance sheet and they're going to keep going and, and do whatever it takes uh, uh on repo and increasing the balance sheet so kudos to that and uh, we we did this short clip this afternoon right before president trump came on uh from the floor so take a listen here firmly still in a bear market right now. What, if anything, can the president say to pull the markets out of this week-long tailspin? To our floor show traders, guys, we're teeing it up in front of the president. You've been on the market's front line. Tom Hayes is at the NICE, Phil Flynn at the CME. Tom, what market indicator will you most closely be watching as the president
president speaks. Well, we, we saw extreme fear yesterday, Liz, and they always say, when no one's worried, that's the time to worry. Well, yesterday, everyone got worried, and they came out with massive action. Mnuchin reminded me of Mario Draghi during the Euro crisis when he said, whatever it takes this morning, and he committed 1.5 trillion of liquidity, the Fed chair did yesterday, 60 billion dollars of bond buying, and fiscal stimulus to come, and he said, this is just the beginning of fiscal stimulus. So that imparted confidence in the market, and you know, here we are down 25% off the highs. Kenny Rogers has a song, no one to hold them, no one to fold them. Historically, you haven't been paid very well for folding at 25% down. So we've been nibbling in the market on high quality names. You know, names yeah. like uh, Wells Fargo that are down 50%. They're not gonna do 50% less business next year than of they course. did last year. Of course. This, this, we'll get through this. Okay, so, um... So that was Fox. Thank you to Ellie Terrett and Liz Clayman for having me on. And also on Yahoo Finance, um, thank you to Miles Udlin, Jen Rogers, and Dan Roberts for having me on that clip. So next, guess what else came out tonight after the close? Europe pledges billions in economic aid, a rare sign of unity, a total of $41 billion of fiscal stimulus for small deficit spending for small and medium business and workers. So you can read this in the New York Times. It's happening, guys. And, and uh, you know, this, this I put out on Sunday. I think it was Sunday night, the 8th. So either Sunday night or Monday. This is bullish percent transports. And I said this was interesting because it's basically the, the percentage of stocks in the transportation sector that are on a, what they call a PMO buy signal or um, uh, bullish. Anyway, it, it just basically means that they're showing bullish tendencies. So basically, we got down today uh, on the 8th about a week ago to zero. Okay, there have only been two other times we've gotten down to zero. That's where the pessimism level was. Uh, December you know, Christmas Eve of 2018, when they also had the bankers call and then the market rallied. We had the bankers meeting on Thursday, uh, on Wednesday rather. And look what happened to transports afterwards. It took off. And then in the middle of the crisis, uh, in the middle of the crisis, March, a uh, couple weeks before, what, one week before the bottom in 2009, transports got to uh, zero and look what happened after. So I put this out on March 8th. I guess that's either Sunday or Monday. Yeah, it, yeah, okay, I was just going through my normal weekend work. So that must have been Sunday night. The futures were down 1,000, that, that I remember now. And the last two times that bullish percent got to zero for the transports were March 2nd, 2009. We bottomed a week later and Christmas Eve. So what I was saying with the futures down 1,000, it's hard to see how we turn here with all the pessimism, but that's usually when something comes around from thin air. What catalyst could be coming, what could be in the coming... What could the catalyst be in the coming weeks? We don't know, but here are some ideas. Gilead's remdesivir has proven effective in the phase three test and rolled out for mass human use to treat COVID-19. That hasn't happened yet. Uh, but, you know, we are seeing more and more anecdotal cases of people that have been helped with that. And also the AbbVie uh, HIV antiviral as well. That was in the New York Post. We put it in today's reads. You can check that out at the website. Uh, two, Russia comes back to the table with OPEC plus and they implement cuts. That hasn't happened yet. Three, the Fed meeting. Well, they kind of pushed the Fed stuff up. They, they've uh, uh, been increasing the balance sheet. I know they did $100 billion in the last week. Maybe, maybe they've done more. I, I didn't look at it today. 
And four, this is what actually happened this week. This was the most important. I thought it would take the longest. That came the quickest. Global Coordinated Fiscal Stimulus Package announced. That just happened tonight in Europe. Um, and it's coming from Speaker Pelosi and Mnuchin crafted a deal with um, Mitch McConnell and uh, uh, one other person was involved. Um, anyway, you can Google it. But you know, they're all working together and they're all getting it done. All these countries in Europe, all these different parties in the United States. I mean, in a crazy way, maybe this is what we needed to bring the country together. But uh, but we're getting it done. And that's that's all that counts. Um, and and then I said, well, all the scenarios seem low probability. Looking at the futures down a thousand plus points, it's frequently at these points of acute pessimism that something changes in the near term. Time will tell. So there you go. And you can calculate how bullish percent is, uh, is calculated here. The next thing I put out on Twitter on the 12th, which was yesterday, was a similar thing. Uh, it wasn't bullish percent for transports. It was bullish percent for the S&P. Got down to 1.60 when I put this out. I think it got down to 1.40 last night. Last time it got down to 1.60 was like fall of 2008 it wasn't the exact low of the crash but it was near so i i, I actually put this one out without uh, an explanation at all i mean it was what it was and by the way no one is calling bottoms here at all and no one can do that but you just you know as i discussed in last week's video cast podcast you know some of these stocks are starting to price in what would be the worst case scenario. You know, Wells Fargo down 50%. I mean, are we going to close down for three months and have no business? Yeah, that's possible. But for Wells Fargo to justify being down 50%, you'd probably have to even close longer than that. I mean, you know, and especially as you got closer to the light at the end of the tunnel, the market would start to discount what's coming, not what's in the rearview mirror. Right now, this week, the market was discounting what's coming, and that's an economic slowdown in the short term until we contain this and get back to work, like you saw in China. And the key, as I said on Michelle's show, was that the minute you see, the first day you see cases level off, new cases level off, meaning um, they're the same as the day before or slightly less, the Chinese equity market started to rally in February. It rallied 20-some-odd percent once that stat came in. And why everyone's been nervous and why the market was down so much is because we're just, you know, just kind of ramping up. So we want to, you know, get the numbers. Now we've got the testing. I can't believe what they pulled together in a week with Google going to do the web. Can you imagine if you don't feel well, you go to this Google website they announced today uh, at the uh, president's press conference and you type in your symptoms and then they tell you where to go to get a drive through test to see if you have coronavirus and then the and then you get the results in 24 hours. That is just mind-boggling. How do you pull that together in like three days? This is just amazing. What what I saw today was really exciting. Does it mean it's the exact bottom? No. Could we go five or ten percent more? I don't know. But I do know that if Wells Fargo's cut in half, if I look two years out, I don't think it's going to be half the business it is today. If I look at Pfizer, which is down 25 percent, yielding five percent. I don't think people are going to use 25% less medication a year out. If I look at Berkshire Hathaway, that's down 20% when Warren Buffett has told you where he's willing to buy his own stock and he's got, you know, I don't know what it is. It's 80 to 100 something billion dollars of cash. Chances are 
you know, he's going to be buying his own stock at these levels at some point. Maybe he lets it go another 10% if he senses fear. But, um, you know, we've been getting involved for the last week. You can look at all of our media. Uh, on every red day we've been adding and every green day we've been sitting on our hands and doing nothing. So today we did nothing. Yesterday we were adding. Um, and we'll see. You know, we put out about seven or eight out of 10 slugs that we wanted to reallocate. Uh, hopefully we'll get a few red days when we can put the last two or three and then we'll sit on our hands and, and see how it plays out over the next year, year and a half. But there is real opportunity out there. Um, and uh, you, you you probably won't get the perfect bottom, but if you start and then if it gets a little weaker, you can add a little bit and just conservatively, not recklessly, just start to ease in. Okay, now we're getting to our main article of the week which and we've covered a lot of this so hopefully i can get you through it quickly the sky is falling stock market we put this out on thursday morning um it was really a sky a sky is falling day i think the futures were down i don't know 700 and then the, the market just fell apart 2000 points down uh and as i said over and over you know Quote, notice I did not call the bottom, but rather laid out a rational plan about how we're thinking about risk and valuations moving forward. It could get worse before it gets better. Well, it certainly did yesterday. Whew. That was that was a rough one. As a matter of fact, there were a lot of uh, rumors. I think Bloomberg put an article. Something was unnatural about yesterday's uh, uh uh, deleveraging and people are tracing it. People are saying it was risk parity. They always blame risk parity, but sometimes it is because they're so levered in different asset classes and their algorithms trigger. If they hit certain volatility levels, they start puking out certain assets and they do it all at once and they do it. They're highly levered because they have like what they think are non-correlated assets and volatility hits and correlations go higher than they think they will in their models. And I think what you saw yesterday was much more than people just being worried about whether or not the, you know, certainly, you know, the NBA closing down spooked people. It's it's when, you know, took it from being hypothetical to being real, like our lives are going to change for the next few weeks. So that was part of it. But there was something unnatural about yesterday. And I think there might be some merit to that rumor that uh, uh, Bloomberg put the article about risk parity. So. Uh, uh, let's hope that was that. And, um, you know, we take it day by day. Uh, next. So the catalysts. So by Thursday, I'd listed a few more catalysts than I was talking about on Monday. Remdesivir. There's also the AbbVie drug that was in, uh, Caletra, which is a combination of two antivirals. You can look up that, uh, here. Be in the know 13 key reads uh, no, no, it was 13 reads for Friday the 13th. You can you can find it at the website. It's there, though. Or just go to the New York Post website and Google uh, coronavirus antiviral or something like that. Uh, next. Okay, so Gilead didn't happen yet. Russia didn't happen yet. Fed meeting didn't happen yet. But they are, they, they, they actually came out yesterday with massive action. Uh, Global Coordinated Fiscal Stimulus just happened today. And what's interesting about what Mnuchin said about it, this is just the beginning. This is just the first fiscal stimulus. We're going to have package after package after package. This is pretty, pretty amazing. Um, China added $100 billion of liquidity. Good news. China steps in as a buyer of oil. Well, they're, they're, I'm sure they're in the market, but now we're going to be in the market, uh, benefiting as well as taxpayers and, uh, and saving a quarter million plus jobs, saving the credit markets and getting an asset really cheap that we could always lay off down the road at higher prices if we want to uh, uh, do that. 
Uh, like it. President Trump, buy low, sell high. Great job on that. Um, and seven, oh, I, okay, so I put this in yesterday as well. U.S. administration could add to the strategic petroleum reserve at these prices and sell it when the market stabilizes. Okay, so that we put out yesterday. Uh, here's what's really exciting about this whole thing. Now, this does not belittle, you know, we got to go through the valley here. You know, I mean, I was in New York. It was much more active today. It was much more active than I had expected. Like, people are out. Very few people are wearing masks. It was beautiful out today. The warm weather is a good thing. Um... So it's nice to see that people are in the restaurants less so, but you know there was there was traffic on the Henry Hudson. That's good. Um, yeah, I've never been excited about traffic. I, I've never been excited about you know pollution in China. It's it's picking up. That's good news. That's never been good news. Now it's good news. And traffic on the Henry Hudson has never been good news. I was happy to see it today. I got to be honest with you. Um, okay, so what's really great about this is that as we get through the valley, the demand pickup and the recovery will just be kicking in at the same time that this, the global monetary and fiscal stimulus is starting to filter through the system. And that's really going to set the table for a nice back half recovery. So you just got to have faith. It's tough. They're going to do stuff like you saw in Europe, help the people that are hourly wage, small and medium businesses backstop them. So people don't lose their businesses. People don't lose their jobs. They, they have money. They're going to figure out a way to get this done. We're going to see more of this over the weekend. Help out those people. They've done it in Europe. We're going to do it here. Um, and then once we get through this, it, it could be things could, you know, certainly the back half, I think is going to be very promising. But I, I, I think I think this is going to be less bad than people were anticipating yesterday. So, um, but still take all the precautions. I mean, I got dry hands, I'm washing my hands, you know, just doing the elbow bumps, no fist bumps, you know, take up, follow the CDC, take it seriously, check in on the elderly, call people on the phone, see if people need groceries or supplies step in, do all the things that we do as a community and family and all that stuff. We got to do that. There's no way around it. We got to go through the valley here, but they've given us the tools today to, to really feel good about going through that valley together. So, um, okay. The other thing is, you know, there's no question late Q1, Q2, maybe part of certainly Q2 earnings are going to be hit, uh, from the slowdown. But what's interesting, so they haven't, FactSet hasn't taken down earnings. Earnings are going to come down for 2020. They still have them at 175. I think Goldman put out 158. Uh, they're probably a little too negative. FactSet's probably a little bit too positive. But, you know, they're going to be less than we expected in the short term. But, you know, the 195 earnings for 2020, I don't see any material reason why that shouldn't hold up. If anything, all this a lot of this demand is going to be pushed forward. Certainly... You know, if you didn't go out to the restaurant, you're not going to eat twice in one night to make up for it. But for a lot of the other things, if you didn't buy an iPhone this week, you might be buying it five weeks from now. Um, so some of this demand demand will be pushed forward. And, uh, you know, maybe 2020. Will, and, and as we get past June, July, the market's going to start to discount 2021 earnings and even if they come down a little bit at 190 bucks, we're trading we're trading really cheap here. It, it's the 2020 earnings that we we don't know. And you know, I was thinking about what to say going on today. I was going to say, 
you know, it's kind of like driving in the country where there are no street lights and all of a sudden your headlights of your car go out. The first thing that you do is you stop your car because you don't want to keep driving and hit something if you can't see anything. And that's really what I think we saw in the markets yesterday. People don't know what the E is in the price to earnings ratio. And uh, so rather than drive around in the dark, they just hit the brakes and they wait. But here's the good news. If you get stuck in the dark and you have to wait in your car because you can't see, sooner or later, guess what happens? Morning comes. And then you can see without your headlights and it's the dawn of a new day. So uh, certainly as we get through this, uh, it's going to be dawn and we're going to be able to see even though our headlights are out. So um, so we'll get through this. Uh, next. The China recovery model could replicate globally. We went through this, okay? Disney's reopened, Apple's reopened, Starbucks is reopened. Uh, the minute those new cases level, they had a huge rally while we were going down, and we're going to see that one by one in each market. So we just have time, patience. Uh, but, you know, they, they really showed us today that we've got the tools we're going to need to get through this, and, and hopefully quick like Singapore. I know we're much bigger landmass, and there's a lot, lot more fragmentation, but... To see all those CEOs up there and just, I mean, taking the test time down to 24 days after a week, it's just amazing to see what they're doing. So uh, we won't belabor this. You know, no one can pick the bottom. We don't know. It could get worse before it gets better. But, you know, high quality stocks, Berkshire down 20 percent, uh, American Express down now, I think 35 percent. Maybe it rallied at the end of the day. Wells Fargo was down 50%. Pfizer was down 25%. And these are things, you know, Wells Fargo today was yielding 7.5%. So, okay, if it falls another 10%, you're getting, you're paid to wait anyway. Um, you know, uh, Berkshire doesn't have, have the dividend, but Pfizer does over 5%. You're paid to wait. ExxonMobil, their dividend is 9%. What's everyone afraid of? They're going to cut the dividend. So they cut it in half. You're at four and a half percent. The stock's down 50 some odd percent. And by the way, if the if the shell industry is going to consolidate, who's going to be the beneficiary when an industry consolidates? The biggest player is going to be the beneficiary and they're trading down below great financial crisis lows. So, you know, you take these things for what they're worth. You don't go all in like a maniac. You just, you know, each red day you you, you can add a little bit and take advantage for the long term. Um. Okay, so that's that. I also pointed out in this article, read Warren Buffett's article here from the New York Times op-ed October 16, 2008, and how he was thinking about you know, that crisis and how we got through. Um, the other thing, by the way, that I didn't write about this week, did you know that in the Spanish flu, which is, which is you know, the model everyone's scared about, I mean, obviously the technology wasn't there, et cetera, to contain anything, but they lost 50 million people from the Spanish flu. You know, the Dow only corrected 37% and they lost, that's when 50 million was a ton of people, by the way. I mean, it still is obviously, but um, something to keep in mind, you know, knock on wood, we're not going to see anything in remotely that devastating uh, with this. The technology's there, the forces are mobilized, um, but you know, we're, you know, we, we fell 28% at the lowest when all that deleveraging, I think that was mechanical deleveraging late yesterday was going on. And we're not going to see anything like that kind of situation in the Spanish flu, knock on wood, but, um, it just puts things in perspective. Uh, now onto the shorter thing, you know, this thing, okay. The AAII sentiment didn't really get as low as I would have liked to see, 
but it was done as of Tuesday night. And I think Tuesday was a big up day after the Monday crash. Is that, I think that's about right. Monday was a down day. Tuesday was an up day. So maybe people were a little more optimistic, but the bearishness did get up to 51%. Ideally, you want to see this get down to 20%. My guess is if they took this survey last night, it would have been down to 15%. So um, that's that. The fear and greed got down to four. I think um, I think it got down to one yesterday, last night. So, I mean, that's about as low as it gets. I mean, it's paid to buy here and sell here over time on average on balance. You can look at the CNN website and see how that all works. Uh, this was as of Wednesday. The active managers took their exposure all the way down. And, you know, into ranges that are, you know, it wasn't the exact bottom in December of 2018, but we were getting close and then we recovered. Um, so it just tells you they got scared and that's understandable based on what's happened. And uh, as we said over and over, we can't call the bottom. No one can. It could get worse before it gets better. But we're selectively and slowly adding to those stocks and sectors which are nearing valuation levels that we define as pricing in at or near the worst case scenario. Most stocks do not yet meet this measure as the worst case is unlikely to materialize. But for those that do, we're adding and will continue to do so as opportunity presents itself in coming days and coming weeks. So that was Thursday morning and we followed our advice that day. Um, and that's that. Next, uh, we did that. Uh, this was on Sunday. Sam Zell's buying in the energy patch uh, in Chief Investment Officer Magazine. He's been buying like us since October on weakness. Hasn't worked. Wrong in the short term. I think it's going to be right in the long term. And, um, you know, we added another 2% this week after the Russia uh, blow up. And we'll just sit on our hands, you know, and see how this plays out over the next uh, two, three years. But, it's generational. And it was interesting. Yahoo Finance had an exclusive with uh, Warren Buffett this week. And uh, the question was, are you worried about demand? And he said, I'm not worried about secular demand. And I've said that in my past pieces, you know, renewables are going to be a greater percentage of the pie, but the overall demand is going to go up over time. And that's why he got involved. He was talking in the context of Occidental. And by the way, uh, Icon, who's also a big Occidental holder, was a huge buyer of Occidental this week and went on uh, CNBC today to talk about it. I didn't get to see all of it, but um, he said he could take his position from 10 to 15%, even though they put the poison pill in. So, you know, you can Sam Zell in the game, um, Warren Buffett in the game, um, and Carl Icahn in the game. I, I want to be involved. And it may take a year. I may be wrong for a year, but I'm going to be right in three years because, uh, A, I'm following money that's much smarter than I am. And, B, I just like the math. So that's... That's how I'm thinking about that. So patience. I would have loved to see it happen sooner, but you know, later is fine with me too, especially when the survivors are going to be up, you know, two to three X and some of them even more. Now going on to sector earnings we do every week. Uh, we did the top 30 weights of the retail sector, last 60 days earnings power. These numbers are all going to change, but they were up 2.2% uh, in the last 60 days for 2020 estimates on the retail side. Obviously that's going to change. Transports were uh, top 20 weights were down 4.43. Uh, you know, that's no surprise. Uh, energy was down 13.6% in the last 60 days. The stocks are down a lot more than that. So, you know, you play the spread and hope for the best. And then um, 
And then this was today. So uh, thanks again to Ellie, Terrett, and Liz claiming for that. So that's about it for this week. It's been a up and down week. There'll be a lot more to talk about as the details come out on the stimulus and the announcements from the press conference. But we really ended on a high note with that um, uh, the president's press conference at uh, 3. I think he started around 3.30 after I got off the floor and what an amazing group he's assembled to help combat this challenge and uh, it really gave uh, me a lot of confidence in what they're doing and, and I think it did to the country as well. It certainly was reflected in the market. Um, looking forward to seeing you back next week, same time, same place. In the meantime, stay safe, reach out to people who need help. We'll get through this and have a great one. Hi, and welcome back to Hedge Fund Tips with Tom Hayes. This is our 23rd video cast and our 13th podcast for the week ending March 27th, 2020. I'd like to kick it off with um, a little thank you. Shout out to Ellie Terrett for putting me on Liz Clayman's show this week. Basically, I was asked about gold um, Gold, I'm kind of agnostic. Um, I like to buy high-quality companies. But basically, I was saying, while there's an expect inflation expectation on gold uh, in the short term, and it could go higher with all the um, borrowing and spending we're going to do and the Fed balance sheet expansion, um, in the intermediate term, you have to look at who are the major holders. So the largest holders, uh, you have Italy, Germany, Spain, Russia is a major holder, and all of these countries are going to be selling off their reserves to pay for their funding program and their aid packages, stimulus packages to deal with coronavirus. So that, that'll be some overhead supply, uh, and I don't know the timing of when that comes on, but um, it's something to keep in mind. Uh, the other thing we discussed was, you know, and we'll get into in, in the uh, video cast this week, is, is buying high-quality companies on sale because they produce something. They produce income. They can grow over time. And regardless of what inflation comes, you know, Warren Buffett always had a saying, if the currency goes to zero and we trade in seashells, you know, Coca-Cola will command the most seashells of any company in that space. Uh, so it doesn't really matter what we transact in. The value provided to the marketplace by these large, high-quality companies will continue to grow over time. So, uh, so that was a lot of fun. That was uh, from Skype. You know, we're all adjusting, and that was that was terrific. I got to get the lighting down a little bit better, but uh, we got that fixed. Then I went on CGTN with um, that was just an amazing experience with Elaine Reyes on Tuesday night as well. We'll get into that a little bit. Uh, wanted to thank Zaina Al Shaib for putting me on that show. And then Ellen Chang for including me in her Kiplinger article. Here we just discussed, um, this was about a week ago, and my quote was basically, if we can see cases peaking in the next three to six weeks and the stimulus package is large enough to hold people over, which it was, it exceeded expectations over $2 trillion, we may be very near a bottom. And I think this quote was last week when we were down over 33 34% um, right now. And, and the point I was making was, 
yeah, the news will get worse, but the market has already discounted a tremendous amount of that pain already. We saw a little bit of a bounce back this week. We'll discuss that in further detail moving forward. Now, I did also put the caveat, if the virus goes on beyond what we've seen in China in terms of time, then we could certainly drop more, 5%, 10%, maybe more if it drags on. Uh, but that's a lower probability. No way to perfectly handicap it uh, unless you know what the case curve is going to look like. But regardless of what the market does in coming weeks, I see opportunity on a company-by-company co basis. And I'm now nibbling on each down day and sitting tight on each green day. So we don't chase up. We only buy down. Um, and uh, so what was needed for a big turnaround, we got the stimulus package. Obviously, the Fed is pedal to the metal. We do, it, it will be really, really helpful if we get an antiviral or a treatment for uh, approved for severe cases. Uh, they started the 10,000 unit test in New York on Tuesday. So based on the successful results in France and um, there was some smaller studies done in the Midwest that showed anecdotal success with the combination of uh, zithromycin, the ZPAC, and uh, hydroxychloroquine, the malaria drug, uh, and there's a doctor in New York who gave it to 500 patients, and he's showing really positive anecdotal results. He also adds zinc because it was in an NIH study. You can uh, Google that. Uh, if that if if we're showing by Monday, hopefully we'll start to get results by Sunday Monday. What they're seeing in the first five six days of the hopefully 10,000 people started using it in New York. That could be a game changer because if that happens, uh, basically I think what will happen is they're going to just say anyone that is at risk above 60, uh, stay home for the next two months. And anyone below, who you know, not at risk, um, take your temperature every day. The minute it goes above 100, go get this stuff. Because the thing that we found with all these medications, particularly this combination that they're testing, is that the sooner you take it, the higher the efficacy. So if you nip it in the bud right out of the gate, the minute that temperature goes above 100, 101, get on the the combination, uh, and that would just be phenomenal if if it proves to be safe and efficacious. And and again, we're going to know a lot more in coming days, which will be exciting. The other point was uh, I, OPEC Plus reverses its decision and cuts production. That's going to be critical for the credit markets. I can't emphasize it enough. They cut out the, uh, as far as I could tell as of yesterday, the $3 billion to buy from the strategic, for the Strategic Petroleum Reserve was cut out of the stimulus bill, which was just completely stupid. But um, it's and why it's stupid is simple. Number one, it would save a quarter million jobs in the oil patch. N uh, number two, it would help us retain our oil independence. And number three, uh, 2009 and 2016, we saw what happened. The Chinese got the bargain of a lifetime. When oil dropped into the 20s, they were the big buyers that stepped in and put a floor under the market, and they loaded their reserves. Uh, and that's a huge economic advantage. So we had an opportunity to add 77 million barrels at about 20, 25 bucks. And by the way... President Trump likes low oil prices. So guess what would have happened next year when the market rebalanced and WTI was back over $50, $60? He would dump it back on the market, make the taxpayers $3, $4 billion on a double, 
and hold the prices down when they started to get high, which would also be beneficial. But um, apparently Congress didn't want that, made too much sense to buy low and help sell high. So now the only play to uh, say, salvage our energy independence and salvage a quarter million plus and the ancillary jobs, it's probably a million, two million all, when all is said and done, all the people that serve the oil patch, uh, is to strong arm or start to uh, work with Saudi Arabia and Russia, and if they don't yet realize why it's in their interest to cut production in the short term into declining demand, then perhaps sanctions are in order. Uh, but we'll see how that plays out, out in coming weeks. I think the administration's initial plan, from what I could see how they were signaling when Trump said, we'll uh, discuss that with them at the right time, I think what he was hoping to do is get the $3 billion from this bill, buy 77 million barrels at 20 bucks before he pushed the price up and then lean on Russia and Saudi to cut so that, you know, our security would be uh, addressed first. We were able to get that oil at a discount price. But now that that's out of the cards, um, you know, just have to go straight to uh, to working with them. So um, that's where that is. So it's not off the table, but it's lower probability. And then we obviously need a vaccine by hopefully fall or winter, which would be a really uh, aggressive timeline. So again, thanks for Ellen Chang for including me in your Kiplinger article. Everyone should check that out. You can find it at Kiplinger, or you can just find the link at the website under featured on up here, and then it'll take you to the Kiplinger site. A couple Twitter tweets I wanted to cover today um, that I found uh, really interesting. Tom McClellan put something out uh, yesterday. He just basically charted uh, quantitative easing, which is now unlimited. The Fed is basically backstopping every asset class with the exception of um, equities so far, but I think they're moving into ETFs, which will... Um, I mean, fundamentally, by buying um, by buying bonds, mortgage-backed security, asset-backed security, it pushes that money further on in the risk curve, which supports equities indirectly. But they may even go as far as supporting them directly. Bank of Japan has bought ETFs and REITs for years, so uh, that could be the next step. I will say, uh, so anyway, uh, it just kind of shows how when they got off the pedal here, what happened and then when they got back on the pedal what happened stabilized we got a rally without any support and then they leaned off and this is when i got really critical uh about the fed you know how they worked day and night to uh for two years to choke off growth and then they finally did um i will say there's absolutely nothing to be critical of i would say that right now the actions that the uh, first off, I would say the most valuable player is Steven Mnuchin. We should all be really grateful that he's the Secretary of the Treasury right now. Number one, he was, uh, I know you can't even remember back to the China trade deal, but he was the voice of reason that, that was really influential in getting that done. I know there were many actors involved, Kudlow uh, and, um, and others, but uh, Steven Mnuchin knows his stuff and he's just to get this deal done and what he's been able to accomplish in the last week and a half and working with chair powell who has done an about face a 
alongside his other governors and many of whom you've seen on TV. You had Bullard, you had Kashkari. These guys have acted in record time. They learn the lessons from the crisis and they're getting ahead of the curve. Uh, so we couldn't be more blessed to have Secretary Mnuchin. And right now, Fed Chair Powell has really stepped up to the plate and done phenomenal things in the credit markets, fighting against uh, with wind at his face, with uh, with energy being so battered due to the Russia and Saudi surprise decision. But um, don't be surprised if that reverses, though, because that's what happened in 2016. They balked on cuts and then they flipped. So. Uh, you know, the Russians trying to put the shale producers out, uh, that's a that's a fool's errand because unless they the assets aren't going to go anywhere, what's going to happen is private equity is going to go in after they quote unquote bankrupt. Private equity will come in, buy it for pennies on the dollar, have them debt free and be able to produce until the cows come home because they won't have any debt. So the best play for Russia is to keep these companies in business as zombies over debt laden uh, capital constrained uh, and uh, but alive because once the ownership transfers, the production is going to go through the roof. Right now, they have so much debt; they they have a li you know they're limited on what they can invest each year to grow production, and that's a good thing for Russia once demand picks up. But apparently, they haven't figured it out yet as their economy declines and they have to sell off their gold reserves because no one will lend to them anymore. They're going to start getting credit downgrades. They'll come to their senses and do what's in their interest. Um, uh, or they won't. And, uh, you know, we'll see. I mean, the Russians can certainly withstand a lot of uh, poverty. They did it for 50 some odd years with communism. So uh, we'll see if that holds true in, in uh, the era of social media when they see how the rest of the world lives. Um, you can tell I don't feel strongly about that one. <laughs> Nonetheless, and then Tom Lee put out this great tweet. I always like to see his stuff. Um, he basically showed since 1920, 10 declines of greater than 30%. This one was 35 peak to trough. And the time required to regain half the losses equals half the time of the decline. So the 35% 30, the decline we had this time took six weeks. So his anticipation is on average, it should take three weeks to get back up to 2,800. We made huge strides toward that this week. Um, so you can just get this data and see for yourself all of the crashes and how they resolved over time. The other thing I wanted to say about this that was interesting, there is a um, hyper-confident chorus of folks who are certain that we're going to retest the lows. And that's not without precedent. There's no question that that happens many times. Um, but it's also not guaranteed. And we had a similar course in December of 2018, and we just went straight, straight up and climbed the wall of worry and never looked back. And so many people, by the time they got on board, the move was already made. I mean, you know, the, the move off the bottom to the top was like 42, 43%. Um, but, you know, 24 almost 30% of it was made in the first four weeks and everyone was waiting for the next shoe to drop and it never did. So uh, be open to all different possibilities. I think based on the consensus that we're going to go back and retest the lows means one of two things in terms of what's the maximum pain for the market. That's what the market is designed to do, cause them inflict the most pain to the most amount of people. 
And uh, based on the consensus to retest the lows, I would say either we blow past the lows, which is a possibility. Uh, but I think also potential is the lows are in and that's going to really upset a lot of people who weren't buying last week and buying on down days consistently over the last week and a half or so just starting to buy high quality companies and now we've had this 20 some odd percent bounce and maybe you get a three or four percent pullback or it sucks people back in short and then continues to just grind higher not giving a people a chance back in after a lot of them sold uh, in the drama last week when people are on TV scared, you know, really uh, um, scared. So um, I would just say no one can call the bottom. I'll just say what I've been saying for the last week and a half and we'll cover that. I've been buying the highest quality companies that are down more than the indices, 40, 50, 60%, that have yields, that have been around for decades and are gonna be around for decades more. Um, and we'll, you know, we'll go through them, but they're, you know, they're, they're no brainers. What Wells Fargo down 52%, peak to trough, yield 7%, Cisco 35%, 3.8% yield. United Technologies was down 56% when I was talking about it on TV, 3.7% yield. Uh, JP Morgan down 42%. They've had a huge bounce today. So, uh, 4.3% yield. Uh, Pfizer was down 27%, 4.7% yield. Coke, I was talking about on, um, I think as early as, yeah, Tuesday was down 40%, 4.4% yield. So, there's a lot of opportunity there. So, if we do go back and test those lows, like, you know, the majority of people are convinced we will, then, then, uh, have a buy list, you know, that this could be interesting. So um, that is that. The alternative we're going to cover as well uh, is what if you go lower than retesting the lows, and, and we'll take a look at that. Josh Brown put out a tweet this week I also thought was really interesting and helpful. Uh, companies with insider, actually not this week, today. Uh, companies with insider buying, outpacing, selling, uh, he had talked about this once or twice, either on his show, uh, the uh, CNBC show, or on Twitter. Um, he, where are all the insiders buying? And we put out daily insider buying, but uh, to his point, it really did pick up quite a lot this this past week, and you're seeing it here. So here was a bottom, here was near, you know, starting to form a bottom. Here again, starting to form a bottom. So the smart money is is starting to load the boat. This is the ratio of buyers to sellers. It's uh, so uh, this is this is really helpful and something you should check out. All right, next, let's see here. We want to move on to the article of the week, and that is the Luke. Combs, Beer Never Broke My Heart, Stock Market and Sentiment Results. Uh, for those of you who have been following me for a while, you know that I'm a country fan. I also like rap, by the way, but maybe we'll get into that in another article. It's not a normal combination, but uh, I grew up in Jersey, so you'd be amazed uh, of, of the um, different exposures we, we get. Nonetheless, um, what we're talking about here is... I said on Thursday morning before the jobs report, initial jobless claims, that we're about to enter a period of bad news. New new cases of coronavirus will continue to go up along with unemployment in the short term. 
you know, and I made the joke if 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 I told you three months ago that the market would rally if we only had 750,000 or a million initial jobless claims this week, uh, you would you would have thought I was crazy that we'd rally on a number like that because the highest ever was 700,000 in 1982, albeit the population was smaller back then. Um, but that was the case, and you know, it was a. The estimates were all over the table, one to four million, and we put that in before the number came out. But people were so pessimistic and expecting such a horrible number that it was a an instance of sell the rumor because you short the rumor, buy the news, and that's exactly what took place. Um, and you had a monster short covering rally, and then of course you had some people chasing uh, chasing that towards towards the end of the day. So. Um, what I was basically, the point I was trying to make is that the bad news is more bad news is coming. The good news is the stock market's already discounted a ton of this short-term economic pain. A 35% peak to trough is really discounting a lot of this pain. It could get way worse if the case curve does not follow China, Singapore, South Korea, parts of Japan, etc. But I think we, number one, uh, learned a lot from their experiences. Uh, that that's for sure. And number two, once we got serious about it, the way, the speed at which we were able to mobilize activity has been second to none, and we might have a tailwind with a treatment. And again, we won't know for the next few days, but we're hopeful on that front. We'll see what happens. So um, basically, Luke Combs. Uh, for those of you who don't know the song, you can go ahead and play it there. Uh, he says, it takes one hand to count the things I can count on. No, there ain't much, man, that ain't ever let me down. Long neck, ice cold beer never broke my heart. So uh, expect, you know, as earnings come out, as the case count come out, as the employment numbers come out, you know, this weekend, you're going to see it all over the news, you know, depending on which stations you watch. They're going to be saying 3.3 uh, million initial jobless claims you know, worse than the depression, and you're going to hear depression all weekend long, okay? It, depending on the stations, that's what they're going to do. And what the problem with that is it's going to scare a lot of people out of their savings. And, um, you know, people like you, people like me, pe some of the smarter uh, value players that are out there that, that you see or just investors, experienced people, you're, you're seeing more and more of it. They're going to be on, uh, the ones benefiting from people getting scared, okay? Just like they were last week. It's going to happen in coming days and coming weeks. These co companies are going to go on, go back on sale. People are going to be scared. There's going to be bad news. And that's when you have to be ready, and that's when you have to have courage. James Stewart wrote a really phenomenal article in the New York Times that I posted on my uh, 10 Key Reads for Friday. You can look it up on the website. And he kind of walked you through his emotions. And this is a seasoned, really smart guy. I, I love watching him when he comes on TV. Just really thoughtful, sensible, rational guy. And he, he wrote a phenomenal article about the emotions he was going through, knowing all this stuff. He's been through the cycles. He, he knows all this. And he's buying down. He's doing the right thing. Don't get me wrong. So, But that, that might be helpful to help you relate to his thinking process as as we were going through the volatility in past weeks and how he kind of worked himself through it. So really helpful article, really phenomenal journalist. Uh, definitely check, check out James Stewart in the uh, New York Times.
Okay, so um, the uncertainty will continue. The D word will be thrown around like crazy. And how are we dealing with this? And we, we covered it, it a bit at the beginning. Um, the key takeaway, and this is the other point. So we emphasized with everyone calling for a retest, it probably means one of two things. Either one, we don't get it, and we just kind of grind a little bit sideways here and then keep climbing up and really upset a lot of people who weren't buying last week, or we rip past those lows. You know, maybe we'll get a whole slew of really bad news and uh, that the market's not expecting, and then uh, you go, you know, five or 10% plus below the lows. But it doesn't really matter. And what I mentioned in this Fox segment, besides buying quality companies and Coke and J&J and all that stuff, is if you bought in October or November of 2008, by March 2009, you looked silly because the market went down another 10 to 20% more depending on where you added in fall of 2008. Even if you added after Lehman collapsed, uh, the market still went down another 10 or 20%. So you look silly. But by June of 2009, you looked like an absolute genius. The market rallied 43% off the bottom and put you deeply in the green from your white knuckle buys in late 2008. So that's the key reason you don't want to buy everything all at once and go recklessly all in like you know where the bottom's going to be. No one does. But if you're buying really high quality stuff that's marked down 40, 50, 60%, pays you a yield, balance sheet's solid, um, and you just hold it. No, you know, Lee Cooperman emphasized, you know, I thought it goes without saying, no margin, obviously, and just hold it for the long term. You gotta take a one to three year view. Maybe it'll be less, maybe we'll have a quicker rebound. But uh, you know, even in the 1987 33% correction, uh, you you know, it took a year and a half for the general indices to get back up to new highs, but individual quality stocks ripped higher a lot sooner. You can take a look at, at some of those as well. Uh, there's all kind of analogs, but the point is these are opportunities, not, get, not guarantees. That's life, right? So, um, But if you have a long enough horizon, you know that a year, two years from now, Coca-Cola is not going to sell 40% uh, less Coca-Cola two years out than they did last year. JP Morgan is not going to be 42% smaller two years out than they are today. Uh, 30% of people, uh, people are not going to use 30% less medication from Pfizer or AbbVie than they did last year. Uh, United Technologies business is not going to be 50% less in two years than it was last year. So uh, Wells Fargo is not going to be half the bank it was two years out than it was last year. It might be 30% greater than it was last year, a few years out. So uh, that's what we emphasized. And the Warren Buffett saying, I think really nips it in the bud here and everyone's waiting for his editorial and it's all his all clear sign. He's probably waiting for a treatment drug before he writes it, but, <laughs> or he's buying hand over fist. I can't wait to see his filings in, in 40, 45 days, but by then it might be too late. And as Warren Buffett says, if you wait to hear the robins start singing, it's already spring. And the point there is, if you wait for the good news, you've already missed it. So you have to nibble when it's darkest and everyone else is selling. 
uh, if you want the best deals. If you want certainty, that's fine, but you're going to buy it up 20 30%, which is quite okay because looking out 10 years from now, not only will we be at new highs, we'll be significantly higher. Um, but the real deals, you know, if you buy, if you buy a company, I can't emphasize that, you know, you buy something like Wells Fargo that was down 52%. When that recovers, whether it takes six months or a year or three years or five years, that's a hundred percent gain on a 50% discount. So, plus you're getting paid dividends. Even if they cut the dividend in half and you're getting three and a half percent to wait, opportunities like this don't come around all of the time. Uh, could things get worse if the case curve gets out of control and we have to shut down longer? Yeah, but it's it's lower probability. And that's why you don't if you if you knew with certainty how things were gonna go, you'd go all in two times levered. And anyone who does that is a maniac and might get lucky, but it might also get carried out in a stretcher. And that's the first thing my hedge first hedge fund boss taught me. He goes, you know what? One thing I can guarantee you, they'll never carry me out of here in a stretcher. And, you know, he was he was right. And, you know, th this was a guy who made a couple hundred million bucks, smart guy, always thoughtful guy. And um, and that's how he played the game. You know, he bought quality when it was on sale, but he never used margin, never levered up, never put all of his eggs in one basket and overweighted, you know, one name that would blow up and destroy his career. He just played the game down the fairway, 200, 225 yards, straight down, hit the ball again, play for par, and you win over time doing that. So, um, you know, we're not talking about chasing high momentum, high beta stocks, and, you know, looking to uh, conquer the world. We're looking to buy things that are, right now in this environment, that'll come later when everything stabilizes. But for now, it's the highest stayed, boring, solid companies, been around for decades, will be around for decades to come. Okay, on CGTN, um, I it was mainly talking about the stimulus package, and you can click there to watch it. Um, also had to work on the lighting. I think I've got that fixed now, but uh, nonetheless, thanks Elaine Reyes for that. Uh, the basic thing that I talked about there was the size of the stimulus, how it would help businesses. You know, you, basically for small businesses, if you keep your employees, if you show that you keep your employees on payroll, even if they can't do anything for the next month or two, the government will give you a loan for two and a half times your monthly payroll. And at the end of the period, when you show you kept people on or rehired the ones you've recently fired, um, they will forgive the loan 100%. So some businesses are going to make out better if this thing is done in four to six weeks. Uh, or if people are working remotely and still having some level of productivity, um, you know, I have a monthly poker group in town. We've been going, they've been going for 15 years. I've been with them for about seven or eight years and we did it by Zoom and an app. It was pretty cool. You know, and the key thing is, you know, they're in all different businesses and what they're saying is, you know, yeah, they're not, they're not at a hundred percent, but a lot of businesses are still able to be at 50, 70, 80% virtually, not, obviously not the service and the front facing businesses, but um, the businesses that take advantage of some of the stimulus, uh, that plus the money that's going directly to workers. A lot of families are getting, you know, 1200 per adult, 500 per kid, family of four, that's $3,400 plus they may still be working uh, or they're furloughed and they're 
time got cut, but they're going to get that check. And if this goes on, you're going to get more checks. So net-net, I think, hopefully, uh, most people will be made whole, if not better than whole, and then you've got all this stimulus. So the math, let's just do round numbers, $20 trillion economy, GDP, let's say you get a 20% uh, contraction over a quarter and a half, call it a trillion, trillion and a half dollar contraction, we've got up $2 trillion plus, I think it's 2.3, I haven't looked at it today, I know that there were a couple tweaks, but let's call it $2 trillion. It extends to $6 trillion because the Fed can leverage the portion that's available for loans for business from 400 and change billion to $4 trillion. So $6 trillion, that's nearly a third of a year GDP. So hypothetically, the pothole, if the pothole was for four months of no work and no going, they've authorized enough money to fill that pothole, $6 trillion of lost growth, lost production uh, and it's not that big because some people are producing from home I've been giving people business and I'm sure many of you have um, it you know for some people okay so what I'm saying is you've got two to six trillion dollars that's going to be hitting at the exact time when demand is simultaneously picking up if the case curves are anything like Korea South uh, South Korea Singapore China parts of Japan, etc. So what could happen is you've, in effect, overstimulated. So you not only get a rebound, but by late 2020, you've got growth well beyond expectations because beyond the $6 trillion, by the way, the Fed has increased its balance sheet over a billion dollars since August. And more than half of that's come in the last week and a half. So you've got call it max seven trillion in the system what if you're only down for a month which would be like a 10 percent contraction in a quarter which is 500 billion and you've got seven trillion going into the economy of liquidity direct payments business loans expansion etc i mean you know you could accidentally wind up with the gdp numbers that everyone was hoping for of three four five six percent you know a year out so that's the optimistic scenario. The pessimistic scenario is, you know, it goes a little sideways like Italy and it takes longer than expected. But I think the amount of money they've already authorized could cover a lot of work, a lot of the worst case scenario. And that's why we're thinking about how we're thinking. It's like, well, more bad news is going to come. Yeah, I know. And the market's discounted a ton of that. And some of these companies have discounted the worst case scenario. And that, that's kind of the end of the article here. So the catalyst I was looking for were uh, the stimulus we got, the Fed backstopping all assets we got. Hopefully we get the positive test results from hydroxychloroquine and azithromycin. You know, knock on wood, we'll see. The earlier people take it, the better the results that I've seen anecdotally. Uh, they're probably going to be giving it to s uh, severe people first in the test. So, you know, it might not be as great as expected, but but we'll see day by day. The OPEC we covered and the vaccine we covered. There's the Fed balance sheet as of yesterday morning. I think it's higher now. Okay, so what do we have to look forward to if we can get this under control the way China did? You know, they're 85, that's a, as of March 20th, they're 85% back to work in China. This is from Bloomberg. 
Disney's reopening their Shanghai Park. Starbucks reopened their stores. Nike's showing increased demand. Apple reopened their stores. Yum China is open. That's Taco Bell and KFC have opened 95% of their restaurants. Uh, So that's mainland China. Boom. This is South Korea. Boom. This is Italy, which uh, this was as of a few days ago. This is this is on the right side of the curve. I don't know where we are today, but uh, it's going in the right direction. So there is a light at the end of the tunnel. We hope it's a short tunnel. Okay, now on to the shorter term stuff. The sentiment results. Here's the thing in the back of my mind for the people who have the bearish thing, not the retest, the ones that think we're going way lower, is that we didn't flush out the bulls in this um, 35% correction crash. Uh, I would have liked to seen the bullish percent go down to the low 20s, and we never quite got that. We did get the bearish percent rip over 50, so that is an extreme, but this is just something in the back of my mind to keep an eye on. Okay, you see, we didn't get down to 20 like these other lows, which is just weird. You know, their survey, I think, is only a few hundred people, so there might have been, you know, they might have been surveying, like Wednesdays might have been massive up days and people might have gotten more bullish before their midnight deadline, uh, but it's worth watching. The fear and greed started to thaw. It went up from 5 to 17. Uh, this is also bullish in my view. You know, active managers are down to 10% equity exposure. You know, if this continues, you know, maybe we grind sideways and keep going, they're going to just... Dr- have to rip into equities um, because they're so underweight right now. So we'll see how that goes, whether we retest or take out the lows. But if we keep clawing up, they've got a problem and they're going to have to chase up, which is bullish. Um, Message is the same as last week, slowly adding to those stocks and sectors, which are nearing valuation levels, which we would define as pricing in at or near the worst case scenario. Most stocks do not yet meet this measure as the worst case is unlikely to materialize. But for those that do, we're adding and will continue to do so. And we gave you the names, not recommendations. I'm just telling you what I'm doing. Read the terms at the top, Uh, not advice in any way. Now, the other thing that I emphasized last week in the Bank of America Global Fund Manager Survey, I put out a a survey. By the way, today I saw a headline from Bloomberg that said this week, their bull bear indicator got down to zero, which is an extreme buy signal for Bank of America. Um, last week they were saying it's a buy, but you know there might be more to go, um, which was this Tuesday before we had that Thursday low. So now it's to zero, which means they would say back up the truck. That that's from Bank of America. The other thing that I liked last week. And I emphasized on the video cast, investment into banking stocks was at the lowest level since July of 2016. And I said, see below what happened to bank stocks and financials the last time the allocation was this low. That was June of 16. July of 16, look what happened. You basically had a double over the next 18 months in bank stocks. Doesn't mean that that's necessarily going to do the same, but I was pounding the table. You can listen to last week's video cast on bank stocks and here's what happened this week they're up 20 percent okay so now they're consolidating do they go and retest i don't know but i'll add more if they do but um but here's here's what happened 20 percent move uh since last friday so um all right so that's bank stocks next and the reason by the way i made that case also was that last year 
the best time to buy bank stocks was in August, right after the yield curve inverted and everyone was dumping them right here. And you had this monster move into year end uh, over 20, 25%. So we have a similar type of overweight sentiment negative uh, because of what was happening with the yield curve again. And sure enough, once the Fed backstopped every asset class under the sun, and credit markets are slowly thawing, but they're really not going to be perfect until they fix the oil problem. I mean, that's that's the elephant in the room. So, um, so that's banks. Now, the last thing that we do every week is we just any we like to cover estimates by sector. We usually do two sectors a week. When we fall behind, we do four. So we fell behind. We did a bunch of these. Utilities, their earnings power estimates for 2020 in the last 60 days have dropped by less than a percent. So they're basically the same. These will all change. No one really knows what earnings are going to be in the short term. But in the long term, um, we'll take a look at them right after this. For next year, they're looking still pretty solid. Uh, gold miners dropped 10, 10% in the last 60 days. Real estate um drop 3.5 percent these these are going to come down because many of the retailers aren't going to be able to pay their rent and that's why the fed really stepped in to backstop the uh, mbs and abs securities this week those reits were just going through the floor and you'll see some of them are up 40 50 percent in the last two days um the dow plus top eight weights of the s p that are not in the dow uh, those 38 stocks were revised down 8% in the last 60 days. Those will come down more. NASDAQ last 60 days. These again are 2020 earnings estimates down 10.89. They'll come down more. And as you see, um, FactSet is starting to take them down now. So we're down from call it 175 a couple weeks ago down to 165. Next year is still at 180, which, you know, if this thing gets under control in the next four or six weeks, Plus, you add that two to six billion and the Fed balance sheet expansion liquidity, call it seven billion of uh, stimulus. These this might be low. We'll see. Um, but nonetheless, that's where we are. Hope you found it helpful this week. I know it was really data oriented and packed with facts. That's kind of what I like to look at. Uh, it's beautiful out today. I hope you had a chance to get outside and get some sun. Hopefully the weekend will be equally as beautiful. Uh, keep practicing the guidelines, social distancing and all that. We'll get through this. And so we had a nice week this week. We take it day by day. We'll see how it goes over the weekend and next week. And that's what we're doing for now. So we'll see you back next week. Same time, same place. Thanks for listening in.